The United States capped off the year 2022 with a once-in-a-generation winter storm that battered large parts of the country, killing over 60 people. That was followed by unseasonably warm, record-high winter temperatures that swept across parts of Europe over the new year. It prompted an even more urgent call from activists for faster action against climate change. Let's talk about this pressing issue because clearly we're pressed on time. We're joined by Dr. Kevin Trenberth, a distinguished scholar at the U.S. National Center of Atmospheric Research. He's also an honorary academic at New Zealand's Auckland University. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Trenberth. Well, good morning to everyone. Thank you very much for joining us. We've talked about on the program a number of times the weather peculiarities that are hard for us to ignore, the consequences in regions unprepared or underprepared for it. The world clearly saw turbulent weather conditions, especially in the past two months. So we know that climate change has something to do with this. We can't deny that, but. How exactly is changing climate causing these extreme circumstances? The main effects of humans is through the composition of the atmosphere, the buildup of carbon dioxide, in particular, in the atmosphere. It's increased by uh, what forty percent, and and we know that that's due to humans. And so that produces, you know, it's often referred to as global warming. It's really global heating, and most of that heat. Ends up in the oceans. So we just wrote a report a short time ago, showing that in 2022 the global oceans are the hottest on record. This is actually looking at the top 2,000 meters of the ocean and looking globally, and we also looked at it、uh, regionally. And so the oceans are the memory of this warming, and the air above the oceans is warmer and. Uh, and it also holds more moisture.、Uh, as the temperature goes up by one degree Celsius, the water holding capacity of the atmosphere goes up by seven percent. And in general, around the world, there's something between, well, mostly ten、uh, to twenty-five percent more water vapor in the atmosphere. And so that affects every single storm, whether it's an individual thunderstorm, a hurricane, or tornado. Or whether it's a an almost global scale wave event, such as we saw, such as you were referring to, where it was very cold over uh, eastern uh, eastern Russia and China, and very warm over the North Pacific and the Atlantic, and then very cold over the United States, and all of those things happen to be related to one another with a sort of a hemispheric or continental scale. Wave that is responsible for that, and and it's、uh, probably more intense because of climate change, because of the extra water vapor in the atmosphere.、Uh, the memories of extremely outstanding examples of consequences of、uh, warming oceans, the ramifications of it. I think it's really fresh in our memories.、Uh, the Pakistan floods、uh, between July and August of 2022 that took the lives of 1,700 people in the country. I think it sent shockwaves across the world for a number of different reasons. As you alluded to, you pointed out in several articles and in your research that over 90% of the global warming ends up in the oceans, and these warmer oceans can bring serious consequences, like the mass floods, for example. The southern hemisphere is no exception. Parts of New Zealand recently saw days of unprecedented downpours. It's being labeled as the biggest climate event in the country's history. 
again, if a country is underprepared for these peculiarities, it, it unfortunately ends up leading to casualties. Can you tell us more about the ramifications of ocean warming? Yes, you mentioned the Pakistan floods, and of course that was devastating. And uh, part of the monsoon, the monsoon rains, which produced tremendous rains in in Pakistan. But there have been many other examples, and you mentioned uh, several. Uh, certainly, I would have been uh, subject to one of them in Auckland here in New Zealand on the 27th of July, uh, right at my location. We had uh, 10 inches of rain. That's 280 millimeters of rainfall in that in that day. And, uh, you know, there was one period where it was really very intense. And a lot of this was essentially tropical rain. And then, you know, three days later, we had another three inches, another hundred and another 75 millimeters of, of rainfall. And so there's been uh, a lot of erosion, a lot of uh, collapsed um, areas where houses have been constructed. Uh, there's been tremendous damage. There's something like over 200 houses that have been condemned and uh, and four people have died. Uh, fortunately, only four people have died. Uh, so this is this is uh, locally where I'm uh, at uh, in New Zealand right now. And uh, and of course, there have been many other examples around the world. Uh, of course, we've been getting warnings. Uh, have we done enough is a complicated question. Experts around the world are sending out a series of warnings that extreme weather across continents could become dangerously more common. It doesn't seem to be depleting over the last few years. Are, are they becoming, based on your expertise, uh, Dr. Tremberth, a new normal? And what does this actually imply for the future generations that will need to live with the repercussions, unfortunately, of their predecessors? Well, yes, this is this is right. And so there's more heating. Uh, a lot of that heating over the continents goes into drying initially. And so it creates droughts. Uh, it creates uh, heat waves. Uh, and in the places where it's raining, the rain is hotter or, or even the snowfalls can be greater. And so this has consequences for the future generations. And your previous discussion about the actions of individuals versus the actions of a nation or the actions of us globally, uh, you know, climate change is very much a global problem. Uh, we all uh, breathe carbon, uh, breathe oxygen and put, put out carbon dioxide. When we use uh, transportation, we uh, generate carbon dioxide and there are needs to decarbonize our uh, all of our activities in various ways. And a lot of that is through electrification and the use of renewable energy, uh, solar and wind and, and hydro uh, and so on. And, uh, and we need to uh, accelerate the, the progress towards using renewable energy a lot more. You're a lead author of the Scientific Assessment of Climate Change Reports at the Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change, or IPCC, for many years. You shared the 2007 Nobel Peace Prize with the Global Climate Agency. Uh, what were the key takeaways from that very landmark research back then? And what are some of the prominent changes that you witnessed since the year 2007? Yes, and so in 2007, the IPCC came out and said that you know global climate change was happening and uh, and that it was due to humans, mm -hmm. and I was in, involved with that. But the IPCC is actually quite conservative because it involves so many people from all around the world, and I think we could actually have said that really 
uh, certainly by by the year 2000. And so these warnings have been coming out increasingly, and they've been getting more emphatic. And uh, and and yet, uh, so it led ultimately to the uh, Paris Agreement in uh, 2017, I think it was, and. Uh, and so there was some progress there, but it's very difficult dealing with all of the countries, nearly, nearly 200 countries in the United Nations. Mm. And so progress in recent times uh, has been limited, mm. and uh, there is still far too much influence of industry uh, and the fossil fuel industry in particular. And, of course, they have a lot of funding, a lot of money to produce that influence. And so progress has really been slow, and yet uh, we really needed to start on on much more progress 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, Dr. Trenberth, uh, we have a environmental segment each Tuesday, and unfortunately, a lot of times I, I feel a sense of helplessness as just a single individual. Of course, there are growing calls for us to maybe uh, vote for the right representation who might be more inclined to make a more globally friendly uh, choices that might prompt climate action. Uh, but when it comes to the best use of our time and resources to get there quicker, it's tough as an individual to make those choices. You're a primary advocate of developing what's been dubbed a climate information system that is considered imperative for the world's adaptation to climate change. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this as well as maybe other tasks that you think are the most urgent to tackle climate crisis in the most effective, time efficient manner? Yes, so the first thing is indeed to to cut emissions, emissions of carbon dioxide, uh, burning fossil fuels in particular. So that is often referred to as mitigation, but then given that climate change is already with us and, and happening and producing often devastating effects, we need to recognize that that's happening and plan for it. And that means building an information system so we know what is happening and why it is happening and what the consequences are for the future. Uh, at uh, any individual location, we need to uh, carry out various kinds of assessments. We need to assess the vulnerability to various things like heat or uh, or excessive rains and then uh, assess what the impacts might be and then take actions uh, to build resilience to uh, produce better drainage systems and and so on and you know not build in in floodplains and places that are vulnerable to uh, flooding and and so this is all a part of an information system mm -hmm. and getting the information to the right people at the right time mm -hmm. uh, that is one of the other important aspects that's often referred to as uh, adaptation adapting and planning for the climate changes which we know are already coming I, I like that you're, you're shifting the perspective there because, I mean, at an individual level, it feels limited what I can choose to do, how to prevent these disasters. It, it doesn't really fall under responsibility of a single person because we're talking about long-term effects that will take time to undo or slow down as well. So first and foremost, transparent and reliable data so that the right data can get to the right countries and the right decision makers, a climate information system. Uh, Dr. Trenberth, thank you very much for today's conversation. Would you like to extend any last words? to our listeners here in Seoul. 
Yes, so this this is an important problem, and and uh, you know South Korea can be uh, certainly a contributor to to helping to solve this problem. But you know ultimately it, it comes down to the really big guys, uh, China and the United States in particular, and any influence uh, South Korea can have on those in in getting together and getting all the nations together. Uh, would be very helpful. Mm. Each morning we talk about the delegacies of being stuck between uh, China-U.S. tensions, but it seems that South Korea does have a part to play and that we are very well aware of. Thank you very much, Dr. Trember, for your insights. You're welcome. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.